I've often described myself on the show, but never specifically as rich or poor. Instead, I like to lump myself into the category of upper lower class. That is to say, maybe one of the richer of the poor folks around, but more specifically, hey, look, I know I'm downtrodden, but I still like to enjoy a great experience here or there. Fine dining? Sure, come crumb my table, Mr. Maitre D. You want to stay at a fancy hotel? Well, I'll know what just what to do. Follow me. Now, that's not to say I get to do it all the time because, of course, I don't. I'm so poor. And a lot of times when I do stay at a fancy hotel, two nights will set me back an entire month's mortgage. So I really should know better and instead let my interests compound in the bank so that an older, wiser me can enjoy that money miserly. But nonetheless, it is great to splurge sometimes. And if you don't do it, We'll get to it. Even though it's Monday, I could give this advice later in the week. Nah, go ahead. Have a good time. As today, we talk about the Ritz, homeless, and the gig economy as we apply for more joshing around. Oh no, there's been another salmonella outbreak where you'd least expect it, and that's in Ritz crackers. Now, it was one thing when the breakfast cereal Honey Smacks had a salmonella outbreak because there's an actual frog on the box. But these delicious buttery Ritz crackers shouldn't be caught up in something like this. And I have to blame their parent corporation, which is no longer Nabisco, but instead Mandeles International Incorporated. But I'll have you know that Mandeles International is an American multinational confectionery food and beverage company based in Illinois. How did it end up with a name like Mandeles International? Well... The name was suggested by Kraft Foods employees. (laughs) This is why we shouldn't crowdsource anything. Now, it's derived from the Latin word mundus, which means world, and deles, a fanciful modification of the word delicious. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how Mandeles International Incorporated sounds, too. Like a business that produces delicious snack cakes. But that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Instead, they're manufacturing and delivering salmonella, which is not how Mr. Sidney Stern intended it. He's the man who was tasked to find a marketing campaign for Ritz when they debuted back in 1934 to help battle the delicious sunshine cracker biscuits that were so popular during the Depression. So, In 1934, based on a tag inside his hat, Sidney Stern decided he's going to call these crackers Ritz. And that's when he came up with the logo in blue with that gold Ritz word right in front that they still use today because he thought everybody in the Depression needed just a bite of something fancy. And you know what? Don't we all? So once the salmonella passes, go ahead and put something on a Ritz. When I lived in Jacksonville Beach, I used to drink at a bar called The Ritz, which is inadvertently where I saw my crazy ex-wife spread eagle pee on the hood of her Mercedes before we left and went to a gentleman's club where we requested the DJ play the song putting on The Ritz when a dancer overheard us and said, hey, I'm up next and have a fedora in my car. Hold on, I'll be right back. Which is to say that though I was a very sweet kid and I'm a real class act now, the time in between, I might have been a little unsavory. And the same can be said about the Ritz-Carlton hotel chain. It had very luxurious beginnings and now is full of ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen with a high-class, gold-standard mystique. But along the way, things were tough. 
The story of the Ritz-Carlton begins with Swiss hotelier Caesar Ritz, who was well known in the hotel industry as the king of hoteliers and a hotelier to kings, who redefined luxury accommodations in Europe with his management of the Ritz in Paris and the Carlton Hotel in London, among others. He and the renowned chef from his hotels, Auguste Escoffier, opened a la carte restaurants known as Ritz-Carlton on board two ocean liners in 1905 and 1913. However, those ships ceased operating in 1914 with the outbreak of World War I, and Caesar Ritz died in 1918. However, his wife Maria continued the tradition of opening hotels in his name. The first Ritz-Carlton Hotel in the United States opened in New York City in 1911, and it was in the kitchens there that famed chef Louis Diot invented Vississois. Vississois is a thick soup made of boiled and pureed leeks, onions, potatoes, cream, and chicken stock that's traditionally served cold. Similar to a cold tomato soup I've begun to market under the name Gaspacho. This is just like traditional gazpacho. However, I've snuck in close to two shots of vodka. So if you've ever wanted to order a Bloody Mary at lunch without all the judgment, go ahead and ask for a bowl of Gaspacho and make a day of it. With delicious offerings and plush accommodations, the Ritz-Carlton chain continued to grow into a luxury behemoth. By the early 1920s, the chain consisted of 15 hotels, the New York location, another in Atlantic City, New Jersey, with 13 others around the world. However, the chain wouldn't fare through the Depression very well, with one anecdote saying that throughout the 30s, some nights there'd only be 30 guests registered to the hotel, yet staff would still be instructed to turn on every light in the place to give the appearance the hotel was full. The Ritz-Carlton name and properties continued to shine, but ownership changed hands several times, with one owner summing up this less than stellar experience by saying, out of the 20 years I owned it, it made money three years. The other years it broke even, but from a public relations standpoint, it was a tremendous asset. It seems the Ritz just kept getting passed around with people that said, no, I can handle that, until finally in 1983, it found corporate guardianship. In 1983, the Ritz-Carlton brand was bought and brought under a corporate umbrella where it was to be managed by Hortz Schultz, not to be confused with another man named Hortz Schultz, who apparently owns the world distance record for ejaculation, coming in at well over 18 feet. Back to our Hortz Schultz, though, he's the one that put into place the Ritz-Carlton gold standards of service, which include the credo being that Ritz-Carlton is a place where the genuine care and comfort of our guests is our highest mission. The motto, which states, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, and the ability of any staff on property from a housekeeper all the way up to the general manager to instantly and immediately comp any guest who deserves it up to $2,000. This is no questions asked, and that staff member will not be disciplined, but instead regarded as a hero for making that service mission come true. With that in mind, I think we need to redefine what qualifies as heroic. And I don't just mean all these superheroes on the silver screen, but instead what passes as a hero on TV too. Because for too long, we've ballyhooed the crime scene investigators and the criminal investigative services. But yet, I'm here to say that with 17 years without an attack by air, I think it's time we recognize the Transportation Security Administration. So why not a new show this fall? like TSA LAX, because that's where the real heroes are. While it remains to be seen, I may have started an old-school radio war with the blowhard host of a conservative talk show broadcast on a local AM station. 
It all started when I was reading the local newspaper over the weekend, wherein I saw an opinion piece pinned by this blowhard host that railed against the homeless paying for campsites at a local campground, transgendered people asking for their own pronouns, and the nerve of moviegoers rejecting Scarlett Johansson playing a transgendered character in the upcoming film Rub and Tug. After reading all of this, I felt it needed a response, so I put pen to paper and I sent it in to the local newspaper. Whether it gets published or not, I don't know, but it definitely ended up in the inbox of that blowhard host, and you can also read it in pictures on Twitter at Joshua Around. Tell me what you think. Is it too much? Last night as a family, to celebrate the birthday of my youngest daughter, we all went to dinner with my dad, where as a proud Southern conservative, my father's smile was apparent when the waitress didn't use any newfangled pronouns, but instead referred to dad correctly as ma'am. As for the homeless, well, there's a disease of despair we could very easily solve if we could only find these folks some place to stay. Easier said than done, I know, especially as housing prices continue to spiral upwards. That's why I sit on my county's affordable housing council, doing all I can to clear a path for the downtrodden. However, some folks on their way down, or hopefully on their way up, might have to make a stop at a campsite. As you might imagine, these folks aren't the same clientele you might find at the Ritz-Carlton, but that doesn't give them any less rights, which is kind of what I said to our conservative blowhard friend, but I'm sure he wasn't listening. Sometimes, though, it's not so simple to slip the grip of that downward spiral, especially when you go to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, only to find those straps severed by substance abuse or mental illness. Remember Alvin, the bum who would buy me beer in high school? He lived behind a furniture store, reclined on an old lazy boy, and slept on a discarded mattress. But Alvin never gave up. He saved the money he made doing daily work and hustling high school kids like me. And by the time I moved away to college, or my gap year in Atlanta to be precise, Alvin had his own apartment on the river. When I went to visit, I found that Alvin's roommate reconditioned old dolls and had them hanging around the house. So Alvin's new apartment would become home to my future nightmares. But still, Alvin made it he was able to find a way to spiral up. When I finally did get to college in Gainesville, I observed another homeless person who upon first glance seemed to be crafty and cunning as he patrolled his territory around the campus liquor store. I first met the man they called the professor when I was walking down the sidewalk as he pulled his bike out in front of me, reached in his pocket to reveal a crumpled yellow police citation, which he proceeded to hold in front of my face and tell me that he was giving me a ticket for, in his words, eating too many burritos, checking out too many women, and smoking too many doobies. Being a wide-eyed college student, I immediately told him I was guilty as charged and asked what the penalty was. He told me it was a $2 fine. I gave him a $5 bill and waved goodbye, at which he said, Don't smoke too many doobies. Fast forward four years later, the professor pulls his bike out in front of me without even recognizing I hurtle over it and give him a cursory glance like I'm now the AM conservative talk show host. But you know what? He didn't change at all in four years, and I'm done with my charity. I fear the gig economy where we use but don't own and work but aren't employed might soon bring us to the levels of Alvin and the professor. Yeah, every time I read Terms of Service, it seems ownership is secretly being seized conspicuously. My family can't eat on gigs alone. What am I, a traveling Wilbury? No, I'd be better off gigging frogs, it seems. Yet here I sit, making my living on a podcasting app. 
I just reread Anchor's terms of service, and it's dubious whether I retain rights to my own content or not. It seems just by saying this sentence on the platform, Anchor at least shares in ownership of what's said and can retransmit as they see fit. But still, I say that's fine. It's an easy platform to use. Plus, somehow I still have the number one morning show in Prague. With that in mind, I have to get to a live remote on the Vltava River, so let's spiral down this episode and head out to Old Town Square. Thanks for listening to my lower upper classifications. Whether you own or rent, here's to hoping you're heading home. Because in this delicious world of ours, it's nice to have a place to call your own. Beware of bad biscuits, but no Sidney S. Stern had nothing to do with it. And while he was the one to suggest Nabisco's box of animal crackers come with a string attached, that's a story for another time. Kerek zatsmi joshing kolem.